Welcome to Lorica, the podcast of Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. St. Patrick's is a parish in the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America, serving the Western Rite. Father Patrick is also the administrator of the Orthodox West. And so it begins, <laughs> the long march to Advent. It's amazing, isn't it, how the cycle of the year just keeps rolling around year after year. And what we began in uh, Advent, this past Advent, and the Nativity and the liturgical cycle of the Incarnation leading into Lent and the cycle of Redemption and through Paschal Tide, it ended at about um, 3.15 yesterday at the end of the Office of Known. That's when it ended. And right after that, at about 3.16, we started our march to next Advent. And here we go uh, through this long season. March 17th is not only special to us here in this parish, because that's our patronal feast, of course, but this past March 17th was also special because it was the last public Mass we had before the quarantine. Bishop John was supposed to be here, and he he wasn't able to come. We had Mass that morning, and it was open to the public, but that was the last actual public Mass that we had. Since then, you've been restricted from coming to church, worshiping together as the holy people of God. You've been told to stay home, watch church on a screen. Along with that, your life, your routines, your habits... All of this has been disrupted and put on hold. Now some people, some people have felt like they've been on vacation. They've been very actually happy about it. Some people have enjoyed it as a little bit of a vacation. Others though have despaired. They've become depressed, anxious, troubled. From the beginning of all of this, I had one, one key concern which I expressed to you on numerous occasions. And that was... Will our absence make our hearts grow fonder? I'd hoped. Would our absence make our hearts grow fonder? Or that other saying, out of sight, out of mind. Will that be the case? Out of sight, out of mind. Will we pine to come back and worship God as the church? As the church? Receive the sacrament? Will we long for the sacrament, for the holy bread of immortality? Will we rush back with great enthusiasm as soon as we are allowed? Or will we take a vacation from our faith and then struggle to rekindle the flame in our heart for God? Will we rather grow cold in our love, slack in our discipline, and in our holy habits? That was the question. That was my concern three months ago. Well, you don't have to be much of a prophet. I'm sure any of us would have guessed that it's probably going to be a solid mix of those two things. Not only among our community and Christians at large, but even within our own heart. As an individual, we probably have had both of those things going on at the same time. There have been some silver linings in everything that we've been through in this trial. There have been growth and personal prayer greater recognition of the value of church and worship and appreciation for one another, our fellowship, 
Maybe some of us have realized we were taking for granted what we had. This experience has also caused some others to do some soul-searching and to come back to God. Maybe they had drifted away, and it gave them an opportunity to do some soul-searching and come back with sincerity of heart. But at the same time, there has also been signs of coolness, waning towards worship. Time will tell, I suppose, what's really going to happen. Time will tell. But I must tell you, I'm just mildly concerned, mildly concerned. We must always receive the trials, the trials that we go through as tests. Trials are tests. Always. They're tests of our faith. And this is a test. We've been through a test. We're still in the test. Test isn't over, by the way. I've been talking to a lot of you. I had an experience years ago where I was in about a three-year test. I mean, really bad test for me personally. And I mean, I thought, at one point, I thought, I can't take it anymore. I really thought I really couldn't take it anymore. I told the Lord, I'm at the end of my rope. And God spoke to me. Isn't it nice when God speaks to you? It's so comforting and reassuring. It gives us courage and hope. And he said, oh, no, no, I've got another 60 feet of rope here for you. <laughs> That's what he said to me. I said, okay, Lord. I immediately thought when he said that to me, I thought of Moses, the great man of God who'd been called to save, you know, God's people from bondage. What a great calling. What a great mission. But before he could do that, he had to go out in the desert for a little while, get himself ready. 20 years goes by. 20 years is a long time. I can imagine Moses there on the 20th anniversary saying, all right, Lord, it's been uh, 20 years. It's a long time. Maybe we're ready to, you know, get this show on the road. And the Lord's like, oh, no, you're, you're only halfway through your preparation. You're only halfway there. Well, our trial goes on. But we have to receive this trial as a test of our faith. And every one of us has the opportunity, an equal opportunity, to do well on this test. Above all, this is a test of you keeping your bearings. That's what this is about. This is a test of you keeping your bearings. And that's what you must do. You must keep your bearings. This is a test. This is a test of you knowing what's important and solid and center and your source. It's important. It's a test of you understanding what will remain in relation to that which will pass away. That's what keeping your bearings is. What will remain in relation to what is passing away? This is a bearing test. And if you take a vacation from your Christianity, which derives its very essence from worshiping God as the church, you will lose your bearing and you will risk failing the test. That's why I'm such a worrywart. I am a bit of a worrywart. It's my job to worry. Big part of my job is to help you stay in the boat with Jesus and the disciples. While the storm rages, for whatever reason, doesn't make any sense. Of course, sin is always irrational. It's the definition of sin is irrationality. For whatever reason, when the storm rages, we're all very susceptible to the lies of the evil one to actually get out of the boat, the only safe place during the storm. We want to get out of the boat 
like a bunch of idiots and get out into the storm (laughs) and go swimming with Leviathan in the deep and in the darkness. Why do we do that? But we do. We got to stay in the boat with Jesus and the apostles, with the church. Now, in addition to the test of the quarantine, if you haven't noticed, our world is burning right now with an unholy fire. If you don't believe in spiritual warfare, if you don't believe that there are spiritual forces at work to destroy you, if you have no sense at this time, right now, of this spiritual battle, of the very real spiritual dangers. (laughs) I'm sorry to be so frank, but your powers of perception are pitiful. There is a war going on for your life. If we are in danger of losing our bearing from the quarantine, please understand the threat has been multiplied many times in recent weeks. I am warning you, in no uncertain terms, to be cautious and prudent at this time. Be sure you are not in the wrong place at the wrong time and being influenced by the wrong voices. I'm warning you. Okay, what should I do? Maybe somebody asks. Some of you don't care what I have to say. That's fine. But some of you might be interested in what I have to say. What should you do? I can tell you where to begin, very confidently. I'll tell you what to do. Come back to church. That's what you need to do. If you're wondering what you need to do, that's what you need to do. You need to come back to church and worship God. That is, by the way, why you exist. If you are confused, that's why you exist. You exist to worship God. That's your purpose in life. You are citizens of the kingdom of God, not of this world, which is passing away. It is quite literally burning, and it will burn. Do not forget your first love. It's time to rekindle the flame, to fan the flame, to return to your first love. That's what you must do. That's what I'm asking you to do. It's the only way you're going to keep your bearings and not getting lost at sea. This is a test of keeping your bearings. It's a test of good judgment, of discernment about what is true, about what matters, about who butters your bread. You need to know who butters your bread. (laughs) He butters your bread. This doesn't butter your bread down here. What kingdom do you belong to? Where do you draw your breath? What's the source of your life? Let me put it this way to you. Who's your mother? Who's your mother? That's a serious question. Who is your umbilical cord attached to? I want you to answer the question. Who is your mother? Your mother is the church. You were born in the womb of the church. She is your mother. Everything that can be shaken is being shaken right now. Are you shaken? Confused? Destabilized? This world is going to burn. And the kingdom of God alone will remain. And I'm telling you how you can remain. Come to church. Worship God. 
There's a lot more to be said. Please don't hear anything that I'm not saying. In the 1950s and 60s, there was a movement which took off in Latin America especially, began by certain Roman Catholic theologians. It was later embraced by Protestants, mainline Protestants in this country and around the world. It's called liberation theology. It reinterpreted the Christian faith in terms of social justice, with an emphasis then on the poor. Today, much of mainline Protestantism interprets Christianity as social justice, while at the same time denying the resurrection, the virgin birth, who Jesus Christ is, all of our most precious Christian dogmas, the very things, the very faith that we hold dear that makes us Christians. You know, you can go into any mainline Protestant church right now, and that's pretty routine. They deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's pretty normal. Perhaps the most demonic ideology, in my opinion, at work in our world is communism. What makes this and like ideologies so evil is that they desire, they seek to establish paradise without God. What makes communism and like ideologies so evil, the most evil, is because they seek to establish paradise without God. This is not a political sermon, by the way. Don't accuse me of that. The sin of Adam in the garden, the original sin, the fount of death and evil in this world, the very root and source of all evil, which was spawned by the deception of Satan himself, was Adam's attempt to turn the world into paradise without God. Adam was to turn the world into paradise, in fact. (laughs) He was placed in a garden, and he was commissioned as God's vice-regent to export the very good and beautiful life of Eden via the four rivers that flowed down from the mountain of God in Eden to the four corners of the world, of the earth, These rivers of life under the administration of Adam were to export the very life of Eden and cover the whole earth and make the world a paradise. But instead of that happening, there was a fall, a corruption, and it brought death instead of life. Thorns and thistles, meaninglessness, wandering in circles. Why? What introduced this death? I can tell you. It is very, very simple. Adam met with God on the mountain and worshipped him. That's what he did every day. He met with God on the mountain. You know, a mountain's coming down out of heaven, the new Jerusalem, which is the church. Adam met with God on the mountain in the garden and he worshipped him. He communed with him. Adam derived his very life, his very existence, everything that he was and that he had, he got from this meeting with God on the mountain. Everything good came from this one event. When Adam ate the forbidden fruit, what Adam was doing was he was declaring that he no longer needed to meet with God, that he would make his own paradise, 
without God. That is the essence of sin. It is the threat that is always before us. The demonic angel of light stands before us now and holds out a vision of a better world, telling us we can make it happen. Well, it's what God would want, isn't it? That's why he's an angel of light, by the way. It doesn't come to you, you know, all ugly and obvious. While we are so busy making our paradise, we forget to go up to the mountain and worship and commune with God. Now, some folks have good intentions. They just lack discernment. Others have fallen into outright defiance and rejection of the Christian gospel. But the first problem will eventually lead to the second. In the natural course of things, it will. If the source of our life is not meeting with God on the mountain. I'll close with a brief couple of verses from Paul's letter to the Hebrews. He says, See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more, I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. This has been a production of the Orthodox West.